Kenzie Burke, welcome back and welcome. Today I have a beautiful guest on. She goes by the name of Maddie Moon. She shows you how to marry your innate feminine energy with your masculine guidance. Her work is beautiful. Her story is phenomenal. And what she puts out into the world is very, very, very valuable, spiritual, mystical, and magical to connect you deeply with yourself and your true essence and your sensuality, your sexuality, all of the above. We need more of this in our world. I do know. And I will let you now jump in. Flats is partnering with me on this podcast. Ella's Flats are a beautiful, simple, crisp cracker made out of whole real food that you can have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, cocktails, happy hour, crudite hour, whatever calls to you. Comes in five different flavors, sesame, hemp, caraway, cumin, and everything. They are an amazing alternative to crackers, to bread, to chips, pretty much anything and everything. They are gluten-free, high in fiber, vegan, paleo, grain-free, sugar-free, no preservatives, simple food, keto-friendly, pretty much all the things you could ever imagine in one simple cracker that you can throw in your purse, you could have in your home, you can sprinkle onto salads. A beautiful, beautiful alternative to our favorite snacky foods, and you can know you are nourishing your body from the inside out by choosing this over any other cracker. The link for them is in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Okay, well, let's jump into you. I know you have a fantastic story and how you got into this work. I know you tell it a lot, but I think that it's such an important piece to, to, to you and your essence. So feel free to kind of jump in and introduce yourself in any way you feel called to do so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I like my story too. I think it's like it's helpful and a little bit applicable to to land and do all of this work. And I tell it a little different every time. So I'll try to add in a different spice here and there. The the main nugget of my upbringing that I like to to drop in in the story is that I was raised in a conservative Baptist upbringing in the South, and that's just one thing on its own that comes with a lot. But on top of that, I had a undiagnosed narcissistic, but many more things uh, parent. We still don't know exactly what it is. Never seen it in my life. It's just like a, an incongruency, almost like multiple personalities, but not quite. And being raised with a very conservative upbringing where girls are like this, modesty, quiet, pretty, sweet, hide your period, hide your emotions, be silent in the space of a respectable man, do anything you can to get married and be impregnated and do not fuck that up. Being taught that from the age of three and on top of that, also being taught that when you don't do any of these things, God doesn't love you anymore, like really just flat out. And then on top of that, being raised in incredibly incongruently and and you we would be told like 
go eat dinner and then we eat dinner. And then if we were eating dinner, it's like, how dare you? You're eating dinner. And it was like, but I was told to that across the board and all of my friendships, like, you know, Madeline, you don't have any friends. Go make, go make friends, making friends and then being told they can't be your friends anymore. They don't like you. You can't ever see Katie again. And like having these messages implanted in my mind from such a young child, a young age, I grew up to be terrified of making friendships because I was told that people don't like me. Uh, messages about my body, messages about God, messages about sexuality or lack thereof. And I created OCD at a very young age. Like I went around all the doorknobs, lock, unlock, lock, unlock, faucet, you know, turn on the faucet, turn off, turn off, turn on. My parents being like, she's so cute. Look at her, like, want to make sure we're safe. And here I am being like, am I safe? Oh my God. Control. Control. And like, not knowing what I was doing, just like my, like, I couldn't walk past outlets connected to the wall. I couldn't walk, like, something in my body wouldn't let me walk past an outlet. I had to walk over an outlet. Like, I had to step over an outlet as if there was like this invisible laser coming out of it. I couldn't walk past it, like, weird little things. That no one understood. I didn't understand. And as I got older, I started to have panic attacks about like my bedroom. We had a house cleaner come in. If she moved a picture frame, I'd have a complete meltdown. So it's all these little things that needed to be in their place. That started to bleed into the way I saw my body, my sexuality. The overarching message that I had within was that anything that is chaotic or out of order is bad. It reminded me of my womanhood, my girlhood, whatever it was at the time. It reminded me of, I am a woman. This is not good. This is like dangerous. This is bad. Even though I didn't have sexual abuse as a child, as far as I remember, I was taking in all these messages around women being less than, but it was through the portal of like how the big man in the sky saw me. Like I'm less than to the big man in the sky and to my my parents, you know, my mother. I was really scared I was going to lose love. As I got older, I found myself in the world of bodybuilding, eating disorders, exercise addiction, just running myself into the ground. In college, I got into Adderall and taking like basically that speed. So I was taking speed and working out and running nine miles a day and eating just a bowl of peas and then going out and getting wasted, throwing up starting the next day again with running nine miles and not eating. So it was, I was a hot mess. You couldn't tell because it was packaged up with like sorority girl in Arkansas, you know? And I'm just doing what sorority girls in Arkansas do. We go and we party and we have fun. We lack boys. But I was like deep down going through this, you know, massive just spiral spiral and not being met with love, being met with a lot of shame. And I ended up acting out. I stole things from Dillard's. Then I was banned from Dillard's and I went to jail for a night. It was like, bad, crazy. And like just continuing to find ways to not feel really like it was, I was numbing out. And as I got deeper into bodybuilding and deeper into making myself very small, I finally had this, I'm, I'm fast forwarding now, but I had this aha moment for one of my second shows nine spray tans on, red sparkly suit, and just had this massive breakdown of, I hate me. Like just the whole, all the coping mechanisms, Adderall, food, bodybuilding, exercise, 
making myself small, all of it just collapsed in front of me. And I just came down to that deep, dark truth, the bottom of my heart that I fucking hate myself. And I sat with that. I really sat with that. There's something like some lightning bolt moment at the age of 23. I'm actually quite fortunate to have realized this going on for this whole lifetime so quickly and soon. And I had this moment where I was like, I know what I need to do. I need to move into the mountains where I don't know anybody. I want to adopt a dog. I want to eat food again. I want to gain weight. I want to put my fingers in the soil. And I want to start my own business, which is kind of crazy looking back because it's like I was a wreck, but we also teach what we need to learn. And I did all of that. I did all that. I moved into the mountains where I didn't know anybody. I started to gain a little bit of weight, get a little bit softer, started to feel pleasure. Had a uh, got a boyfriend, and then all my sexual stuff started coming up. Where when we were making love, and it was just like, like all that tension and the coping mechanisms I had with body image started go- going into sexuality. Then of like zoning out when we were having sex and not wanting to be present and fighting the urges, like wincing during our sex, not because it was actually physically painful, but it was spiritually painful. God hates me for this. Ah, like I, I hate myself for this. I'm feeling pleasure and I want to battle it. So that was now, I mean, that's all now eight years ago or seven years ago. And through the next seven years, I started going into, I mean, seven years, that is a full cycle. So for anyone listening to this, a full cycle of seven years in my 20s, I started that's starting from the point of the body and the sexuality and the God distaste and the fear. Then I started going like looking at this resistance, looking at this, all these stories around being a woman, all my coping mechanisms, and one by one, unarmoring my heart, unarmoring my womb, unarmoring my stories over seven years. So very long time. I thought it was going to be over. The number though, did you know that? Usually of go in seven years. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. So that's why I'm emphasizing it. Yes. Yes. So for a child, yes. when they turn seven, that's a very big age. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So this was a definitely a very, when I look back, it was a very specific cycle of seven years of unveiling and unarmoring. And eventually it led me to feminine and masculine. And when I first heard feminine and masculine terms, which were not, those terms were not allowed in my household. Spirit was not allowed in our households. Wasn't allowed to say tree hugging or make a peace sign with my fingers. I wasn't allowed to do any of that or I was punished. So when I heard feminine masculine as an adult woman who could do what I want, I was leaning in. I was like, I want to learn more about this. Just like rings something really true in my body. And uh, it was the answer to everything, really. I mean, at, at its core, the answer to truly like what the feminine is, is energy. The feminine is love. It is expression and it is chaos. So I finally was hearing this message of, oh, chaos is fucking electric and magnetizing and alive and can never be stopped. It is always going to be there. And then learning about this masculine consciousness, the part of me that's always been here from this lifetime to the last lifetime containers and grounding and depth and these etheric words started to bring a bit of poetry to my pain. And so I think what this this work does, it starts to bring a little bit of etheric poetry to the agony we experience as humans every single day. And it starts to enlighten 
very real mundane struggles we have as humans. Ouch, I hurt. Ugh, I don't want to feel this. Oh my gosh, I don't want to hold this. Whatever it is. And we start seeing it through the lens of spirit, truly. And that is what took me into the path of feminine masculine embodiment, yogic intimacy, and finding God in my sex. Really, truly. And now today, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like making love is the whole point of being here. <laughs> Such a feminine being in that way that I'm just like, that's the answer to all the things is, is like feeling bliss and pleasure and feeling God and divinity and feeling death and life in our bodies. Yeah. I mean, that's what life is. It's death, it's birth, it's sex. It's That's really what it is when you can connect deeply. So for feminine and masculine, would you dive into a little bit of each of those and then how they balance and how they can dance with each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I study through, um, I've had multiple teachers in, in this area. David Data has not been a private teacher of mine, but I've definitely studied from the lineage of David Data and taken work with John Weinland and Kendra Kunov and um, studied London Angel Winters and all these beautiful teachers. So this is an accumulation of that space. I'm a part of that space in my teachings, whereas there are other people that teach feminine and masculine that are slightly different. They focus more on yin and yang, which I think is different, actually. I agree with you. Yeah, and it, it trips people up all the time. So for the purpose of this conversation, let's like put to the side yin and yang. And let's hear feminine and masculine through a new lens for everyone listening in this context. So feminine is energy. Okay. So it is the emotion pulsing through our bodies. Right now I'm speaking to you and my hand is moving. It's like the feminine. I'm breathing. You're breathing. That's the feminine. It's like this, the the oxygen that's flowing inside of our bodies and then the carbon dioxide moving out. This is this is the feminine. This morning, I felt sprightly, and then I felt a little bit tired, and then I felt hungry. Like all of that complexity is the feminine. Very easy metaphor is to think about water in a glass. Like the water without the glass is just the feminine. It's just spilling, pouring. There's no container for it. It's chaos. It's what we see in nature all the time. We the water in the ocean the thunderstorm, the magic that's sometimes creepy and mystical in the jungle, all of that is the feminine. The masculine is the absence of all of that. Or perhaps we can think of the container for all of that. It is the glass holding the water. It is the awareness on the breath. It is the stillness when we are in meditation. You know, when you have a very juicy meditation where you are drooling at the end and you've lost, you've, it's like you've lost um, awareness almost of where your body starts and stops and you're just one. Like you're, you're aware, you still have awareness, but you're not fully sure where air is and where your body is. You're just in this state of nothingness. That's the masculine. And it arrives in multiple different ways. It arrives in a glass holding water. It arrives in an ocean bed holding the ocean. It arrives in a teacher holding space for you, really just gazing at you, breathing with you. It's that part of yourself that you can always touch back into when your life feels chaotic. 
the part of you that's really holding the fort down through awareness, through stillness, through breath. Even the way I'm talking right now feels a little bit more masculine than the way when I was talking about the feminine. And the work that I do is the work around how can we use our bodies to take the shape of this, of these. Sometimes we want to use our bodies to take the shape of the feminine, depending on what we need more of in our relationship. Sometimes we want to take the shape of the masculine, depending on if we're at work or if that's what our relationship needs. And there's stages to this. That's another part of the work that I teach is the different stages to knowing what to enter at any given time. But first, it's important to create a a practice of being able to feel both in your own body, to be the ocean water and the ocean bed, to feel whatever's present. So when you close your eyes and you feel into your heart space, perhaps if you're a woman, you feel into your womb space. Um, Maybe you also touch base with your throat. I love to touch base with these three aspects, the womb, the heart, the throat, and notice what's pulsing through. And I'll often do just like an energetic line up and down my body. I'm just kind of feeling that energy moving. And sometimes you can easily feel a physicality. So I feel my heart is really steady, or perhaps I feel my heart is pounding. My palms are are really sensitive. My fingertips are sensitive. My my head feels heavy. So those are all physical things. And then from the physical, you can touch into the emotional. Uh, I feel kind of a sense of emptiness. I feel open. I feel you know, just doing like a scan of what am I feeling? What what am I feeling? And the part of you that is aware of those feelings is your masculine. And then you feel alongside that, that sensation. And then you just amplify it. Oh, I feel empty. Can I amplify my emptiness and feel like what's even underneath the emptiness? Or I feel longing. I miss my partner. Or I feel bored. And I feel really catty and bratty about my boredom. I just want to make a fuss about it. (laughs) And so you just feel both at the same time. That's a really beautiful foundational practice. And it teaches your body to be able to to hold what's coming up for you instead of projecting it into anybody else, into the world, into your work, getting graspy, really learning how to be present with the discomfort. You know, instead of what I look back at my past, being a youngster, taking taking Adderall and drinking alcohol and eating all the food and then purging and then like all my coping mechanisms, it was simply to avoid this. Mm-hmm. Just looking at it and feeling it and observing it. And mm-hmm. yeah, my favorite quote is nothing survives in the light of observation. Mm. And if you think about it so often, we and people, we run and we, we do things, we take things. And it's sometimes it's 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes of going there. Like you just said, and then it's not scary and you see it and it's almost life-giving when you can sit with that. It is life-giving. Hmm. Yeah. It's intimacy at its finest. Totally. And a, a really important part too, especially when you first start practicing this, like, like don't be afraid to, to feel 
self-disgust, you know, like that's been a huge part of my journey because like thinking back to when I was 20 and I shoplifted and I went to, got booked for a night. That's like one of the last times I remember deep-seated self-disgust. I was perfect. I was fine. I was just a kid trying to find my way. I was confused. I didn't have... Now that I'm an adult, I can see I didn't have parental guidance in the way that I would so want my child. If I have a a child, but back then I didn't know that. All I thought was God hates me. I'm a bad human. I'm disgusting. And we have these moments as adults, no matter what our spiritual path is, when we go deep enough, I think all of us, especially like as far as I know, some of the top teachers struggle with the most self-hate. And there's actually nothing wrong with that either. Like it's okay to go into this expression or this feeling of like, oh, oh, just like loathing pain. The biggest problem is that people don't go into that at all. So then it's like this constant woodpecker that's behind everything they do. Every date they go on, every project they ensue. And you attract it as well. Attracting it. It's because you're not seeing it. You're not facing it. You're not feeling it. And there's another beautiful quote that anything we don't feel fully is what lingers. If anything is lingering, it's because you're not touching it fully. And so the practice that I just spoke of, that simple awareness is step one, but then the next step would be to actually embody it. What Take the shape of self-disgust for 10 seconds. Throw a tantrum as the inner brat that you are for 10 seconds. Scream and wail from the most guttural part of your body, the most primal part of your body. Wail out to God, how come I haven't found my love yet? Like actually embodying that. And that's what frees that from the body. And there's so much emphasis in the spiritual world on feeling love and light and affirmations. I am good. I am pure. I am everything that's lovely. And that's great. That that helps balance things out. I love affirmations too. And it's not complete without feeling the snot run down our nose and want to beat our chest against someone who's not stepping up for us really expressing that in the body like an animal. And then it leaves. Magical thing happens. Then you start laughing or you feel space open because you just went there and it does its magic on its own. You don't have to logically understand it. Like literally just using your body to express something like self-disgust helps freeze up self-disgust. So it's no longer attached to your shoulder and you're actually truly free, at least in that moment. You'll find your way back. Letting it come up from what is inside versus what is in your head. Right. A quick intermission to remind you of our partnership with Ella's Flats and all seed savory crisps. One thing I really value and love about Ella's Flats is Ella's story. She is a mother of three and was frustrated with what was on the market as far as a satisfying, simple, whole, real food. So she created it. And I always feel like the best products come from someone who has a problem and finds a solution. As if someone has a problem, a need, a desire, it's likely that many of us have the same one. So Ellen has turned packaged food into something that is wholesome and sustainable. I love to sprinkle these on my salads, make a savory crisp with hummus and veggies, do crudite boards, 
And I also love to make a little sweet treat with them with a little nut or seed butter or coconut butter and honey. And now I will let you get right back into the show. I just want to remind you. And again, the link for Ella's Flats is in the show notes. So please do enjoy. Because you do a lot of practices where you get into your body and I've done them. They're incredible. They're amazing. And just letting what comes through is so, there's no words to describe what can come through in your body when you can just drop in, remove what you're thinking about and what you think you feel and letting what needs to come out be expressed, whether that's tears, whether that's laughter. I mean, that's just so, it's so incredible. Mm. I'm so glad that you've had that experience. Mm -hmm. It makes me so happy. Yeah, it really is. Like it's so on... Uh, calculated, so uncalculated, so natural. It's it's within. It's magical when you start to give. Just literally giving time and space. You're just giving time and space to like feeling. That's it. Yeah, it, my partner and I were watching a movie the other day. On the rocks. On the rocks is a really. It's a. It, I'm not like gonna recommend it. It's a great movie. It, it actually left me feeling so weird. But it was a good character study. Rashida Jones is in it and she plays a woman who is in a relationship where she thinks her partner is cheating on her. And she does embodiment so on point, like acting at its finest. I loved it because you could just feel within her this constant battle in her mind around the truth that she's feeling. She's feeling my partner is up to no good and expressing it. She never expressed it. There were so many moments of the movie that I was like, oops, withhold withhold, withhold, where she could have been like, ah, you motherfucker, like, are you cheating on me? It's killing my heart. It hurts. Like, see me or expressing in some way. But instead she was like, oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm, I'm sorry. It's my fault. And there was one scene in the, in the movie, especially where she was like feeling all this like sadness around thinking her partner was cheating on her and seeing, but she just pulls out her calendar and Mark something on the date and straightens her pens and stacks her books. And uh, me and my partner were talking about how interesting it is, like how women will turn to that before dance, before movement, before embodying. They will turn to straightening the books, writing down to do's, sitting at their desk with their glasses, getting everything in its order before dance, before shaking, anything before that. And that was a great character study just for the way that the average woman withholds in relationship and also the tendencies and mechanisms that they use in order to not feel what's true. So what would you say to a young woman or any any age of a woman who feels afraid to express themselves? Because I do feel as though I don't know if it's a, our culture or, but it's, you know, it's don't make a big deal. Don't be dramatic. Don't. And I really believe that your partner, your man, the person you are going to dance with, if he is your person, he has a container for all of you, all of you, like your entire expression. But I do feel 
as though people are, are afraid to express themselves, especially living when you have parents. Don't cry. You're okay. You're, you know, and we're bombarded with that. You're fine. Suck it up. So what would you say to someone who has that fear to be expressive to in front of anyone or even themselves? Hmm. Well, first thing I will say, just to touch on the part around if someone's your partner, they'll be able to hold all of you. I think in the macro sense, yes. And in the micro sense, not always. And I think that's a big misconception that we should always be able to be fully expressed in any moment with the truth of our heart with our partner. And that's a big indicator if they're the right person or not. In the macro sense, yes, there needs to be in a level of nervous system safety where who you are is welcome. You are mess too, which includes the mess of revealing your heart. Sometimes you are going to want to reveal the truth of your heart at 5 p.m. on the dot, right as your partner steps out of his office and he just got out of a you know, two-hour work call and he's not in a space to be holding the truth of your heart. He needs transitional time to go from work mode to relational mode. But you want to express the truth of your heart in this moment. That moment, if it happens at five o'clock, may cause more of a closure in you both than an opening. So there is some finesse to revealing the truth of your heart if you want to do it fully embodied throw a temper tantrum. Sometimes that needs a time limit. Sometimes that needs an appointment. And to go into the question of what you're asking specifically around if there is fear, well, yes. Like just so everyone knows, like constantly there's going to be a fear because you're being fully seen. You're being seen. And the sound you make, you can't pre-plan the sound you're going to make when you do a temper tantrum. You can't always pre-plan what you're going to say. And you're not going to be able to have a controlled lab where what you do looks pretty. So David Data says that sometimes when you're fully expressing or you're creating art in the name of love, which I want to make sure that's a very key important piece is that when you're expressing the truth of your heart, it's not coming from a place of me, me, me. I need to express this because that's actually quite selfish. Instead, the practice ground is How can I express this moment, my truth, in a way that brings more love into this moment? If you're only doing it so that you get to express the truth, it's very likely going to create closure because it's going to feel like you're trying to get something. But if you're trying to offer the truth in a way that brings energy to your burdened partner or a way that brings more light into the moment or more truth, you know, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It's wild and crazy, but it's bringing more truth to the moment. And you're doing it in a way that's an offering that is going to lead into more intimacy for sure. That leads into more intimacy. And uh, that's why I believe practice is really important. I believe practice spaces is really important for this. Is How can we create practice rooms or practices with our friends or practice moments of revealing the truth in a way that brings more love rather than springing in on someone because we're trying to get something. Oh, what I was I totally missed this part because so I just went off one thing. David Data says that it's at times going to feel like you're being crucified. 
And that's so on point. Mm-hmm. Like if your childhood wounding is, okay, mine is don't reveal. Like literally my childhood wounding in a nutshell is do not reveal how you feel. Do not reveal how you feel. Never. It's deep within my body that the moment I reveal how I feel, it's turned against me. I'm punished. I'm ashamed. I get no privacy. Like there's all these things that go with it. I'm yelled at for five hours. Don't reveal. So my work today is how do I constantly reveal? And there's some days where I'm just like, fucking kill me. (laughs) Kill me because there's nothing left. It really feels like there's nothing left when I keep showing up to honesty. This is how I feel, my love. This is what hurts me in my love. Can you witness me for a moment, my love? It is not an easy path to continue to show up to that. It feels like being crucified at the cross over and over and over. And that's just normal. Like if you're not feeling like you're crucified, you're probably not revealing your heart as deep as what the moment's asking of you. You're still withholding a little bit. It feels like being exposed. It should not feel dangerous, meaning have discernment on which partner you do this with. Don't do this with someone who isn't available for you. And we all know what that feels like. We all know what someone who just truly is not available over and over and over and over. And then it becomes abusive to yourself to keep trying to show up and reveal the truth of your heart and bring more love into the moment when they don't care or they're still in a phase in their life where they're just not available for this kind of depth and this kind of depth you want. That's my two cents. I don't think that this, you can do micro practices. Like say you're just not getting to know someone you're dating and you're not sure. There's ways that you can reveal, test the waters. You don't want to shock them completely, totally. But as long as you're coming from this place of wanting to infuse the moment with more truth and love, it is art and it is a practice and it always will be one. So beautiful. It's so beautiful. Have your relationships shifted and and changed as you've gone deeper and deeper into this work and in this path? And you seem your your entire aura, you have a lot of freedom with yourself and your expression. And and would you say that you've that's a deep part of your work that you've done on yourself? I mean, and have been able to cultivate that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you know what's interesting that I've discovered, which is kind of a conundrum, is when I'm dating some when I'm dating multiple people or I'm dating someone who isn't fully available for this kind of practice, but I stick around because the sex is good, or we have fun, or he's funny. My art is so good, at least from my perspective. When I'm with people who are like not fully available for the practice and they're not soothing and quenching my deepest desire to be ravished. My art is really good. Like the videos I make, the content I make, the skits I make, the, the, the writing that I do, the poetry, it's so good because I'm so unsatisfied. I, I see all the ways I'm unsatisfied. I'm so close to home on what I really want. And I can write about it. I can make art, skits, all that. When I'm really satisfied in love or I'm really being taken to the depths, I'm so in it that my art, feels like it changes a bit. It's not as witty. It's not as on point. It's not as close to home of what all women are experiencing because I'm really like engaged. Like it's almost my art becomes, I have to practice my art more because I start to lose sight of it. 
a little bit because I'm happy and I'm going back into contentment and things are really good. Doesn't mean that the triggers aren't there. There's massive triggers. Like probably the better the relationship is, the more healing that there is for that childhood wound in me, the the deeper the triggers are going to be, which means there's so much potential for art. But I just want to drop that in that if you're in a place in your life where you're just dating around and you're not really finding the one that you want, your art is like so available. You want to make these little, you want to make a stand up show about what it means to be a millennial woman dating with the depths of your heart. Or if you want to write a short haiku and blast it out or a haiku miniature ebook, or you want to make little skits or do TikToks, like you're at such a great prime when you're really not being satisfied. There's like this desire, this flame that keeps you going. And you have to work a little bit more harder when you're in a relationship that's truly meeting you in the ways that you want. At least for me. That's what I've noticed. That's a really powerful observation. And I would say that can be true and is true in all aspects. Even if you're in a job that you don't really like, it's such an opportunity for you to be seeing and feeling into what is it that I like and how as my how are my days and my interactions. And But it, that's a really powerful observation in love as well. Very powerful. Mm, the yeah. final thing that I really wanted you to speak on, it's what really turned my head into your work. And I was watching it one night in bed and I don't really sit on my phone in bed, but you were observing The Bachelor and you were observing body language and sharing how different body language was inviting or um, I can't even remember the correct words, but it really fascinated me. And I want you to speak a little bit on that because Mm. it is fascinating to be able to observe a human and be able to see their expression and their invitation. And, and it just really, I've, I've been looking and observing humans so differently since that moment. <laughs> ah, oh, that's so great. I love that you brought this up. I'm thinking about starting a whole channel just on, on breaking down body positions in media and shows, Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, uh, 90 Day Fiance movies. Like, cause I'm, I find it so fascinating. It is. Oh, you so yeah. should do that. It's so fascinating. And you can learn so much from that observation. So much. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another thing that I heard David say once is that like, I'm gonna paraphrase this here, but if you are someone who had a, a mother or a father that constantly disapproved in you, your whole life. They just disapproved in you. They beat you down. They didn't appreciate you. As you get older, you're going to start to take the shape in your body of someone who was disapproved of by mom and dad. That's the, the literal shape you will take. You'll walk into a room. You'll go to a party. You'll go to work as he or she who was disapproved of by mom and dad. And you will find someone in that work environment or that space who carries the shape of, I disapprove in all men. I disapprove in men because I was myself abused by a man. So boy, man, who takes the shape of everyone is disapproving in me will energetically match the shape of, 
I disapprove in men, woman, the woman who takes that shape. They'll find each other. They will take the shapes that will be a complementary match. The way their body language is, the way they hold energy in their face or in their neck or in their shoulders, whether they're open and charismatic or they're fluid and they're feminine and luscious and like sensual, or the voice is really deep and really booming and in the root, or if it's really high and really, really like airy fairy and constantly moving from here to there and doesn't always quite make sense, but it's really fun. <laughs> They'll find each other. They will be attracted to each other. There will be polarity and magnetism there. And there will be moments like that's just one thing of like using our bodies as shapes to find people and, and how we find people. And then there's also in the micro moments of how we use our bodies to either invite more intimacy or close off to intimacy. So that couple might find each other at the party, match up and be together for three years. And then eventually their bodies will start to take the shape of, I do not feel safe with you. They'll equally both do that. He will you know, cross his arms and like cock his head to the side every time she speaks because he's so tired of hearing her speak. Or every time he feels that she's disappointed in him, he'll do that. Like this naturally, I don't know if people can see what I'm doing, but my head is lolling to the side and my arms are crossed and my eyes are down to the floor. And that's a very different look than shoulders open, arms to the side, eye contact, really engaged with you as I'm breathing deep. Like we can feel that a moment has shifted where I'm connected with you again. When I'm looking at you in the eye and I'm connected with you and it takes a lot of time for someone who has the shape of I'm always disapproved in to I'm available for love. And we can see this in the media. We can see all these examples of like the head lolling or the way the woman talks like this. I am not okay with this. Like very sharp. And now she's emasculating her partner. Every time he does something she doesn't like, she'll do this. Like we can see how our bodies are constantly speaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's examples in the real world all the time that you'll see like people who I was out, out to breakfast with my partner and there was a guy next to us that was watching the news on his phone and right next to us. And I'm very sensitive to sounds. Now it's just like, so annoyed. I was like, oh, it's so annoying. And my partner was like, hey, 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 man, can you please turn off? your phone right now or pull out some AirPods as we're trying to enjoy breakfast. And this guy was slouched in his chair like this, like just slouched way down. And he just looks at us and looks back down his phone and keeps watching it. Just totally ignored our request. And we could tell, you could tell within that two seconds, his entire relationship with his dad. Mm. By us as someone telling him what to do or his mom maybe. Like two people telling him what to do. We weren't telling him, we were asking, but he, you could tell in his body, he was taking that as these two people are telling him what to do. So he couldn't even respond. He didn't want to respond. He just kept doing what he wanted. He wasn't meeting us with any kind of actual communication or intimacy interaction. And you can tell out in the real world or, or with your friends, with your lover, everything you need to know about their relationship with their parents by how they meet you in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't feel that more. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It's so, I've always been a people watcher and I've always felt so much observing people. 
So when I saw you speaking of it, it, it gave me a lot of context and I've just been so aware of it. It's really, you have to do something with this. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in the works because I, I find that like, that's one of my favorite things to do. So I'm currently getting all the software and things that I need. And it's like things you got to figure out of how to like screen record shows and stuff like that and <laughs> put it on YouTube, but it's in the works. I'm very excited about it. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, what else do you have for anyone listening who can dive into your beautiful mm-hmm. work? Yeah. So I have... My website is maddiemoon.com and my podcast is Mind Body Musings. Though I'm not really continuing with it. There's like 350 episodes available. Um, my Instagram is Madeline Moon. Daily videos are released there. And I've got several courses. I've got the CSU Society, which you've been in, mm-hmm. Feminine Spirit School. These are all evergreen online, downloadable instantly. And then I have a live practice group called Creativity and Love. And this is a four-month program. And it includes one live intensive. This time, it'll be in New York City. And this is a space for coming together and practicing creating art in your relationships, as well as learning grounded tools for communication and finding your unfelt feelings and having a safe space. It may not always feel comfortable, but a safe space of of sisters, no more than 14, diving deep together and creating art and expressions and finding our many textures. So this round begins in October. There's only two spots left if anyone is interested in that. And then I'm sure I'll do more in the future. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm so happy we connected and were able to have this conversation. Mm, Me too. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to connect with me on Instagram, which is at Kenzie Burt. And don't forget to check out my powerful superfoods, biodynamic coffee and sustainably grown cacao. We often drink coffee first thing in the morning and I truthfully, truthfully believe that what we put into our body matters more than we could ever know. And as coffee is one of the first things we put into our bodies in the morning, it is so important that it is pure and clean and cacao is nature's chocolate. It is mood boosting and I love to put it on my fruit in the morning to give me a nice charge. It's a beautiful, powerful duo to have right when you wake up and it will make your rising with the dawn as pure and as magical as you are. You will feel my connection through these foods. And in addition, if you rate and review this podcast and send a screenshot of your review to contact at kenzieburke.life, We will enter you into a little giveaway every single month. We are going to compile all of your entries and choose five people each month to send the powerful duo of superfoods to as a thank you for being our listeners, my listener, and just for being in my community and for the ongoing support. So I thank you so much again for listening and sending you all my love.